We are so excited to share this with you. So we just had a great conversation with Jillian Richardson from Brooklyn, New York. And just so that you know a little bit about Jillian and her story, she, as of last week, posted on her Facebook page this quote. She said, I'm 25 years old. I'm often afraid for people to know that. You won't find my age anywhere on the internet, and I've kept it hidden on purpose. Why? I have a story that when people find out, I won't be taken seriously when I talk about how I want to create a more loving world. I fear that age will limit my opportunity and my pay rate. I fear that I will be treated as less than, especially when most of my social circle is older than me. Yet I have been inspired by the loving warrior spirit of Greta Thunberg this week. Youth shouldn't take the shine away from someone who wants to create change. If anything, it should enhance it. So, hi, I'm Jillian Richardson. I want to make the world a less lonely place. I'm a founder, an author, and a facilitator, and I'm 25 years old. Nice to meet you. It's hard to make friends in New York. That founder, Jillian, used to say that all the time. When she moved to the city three years ago, she was great at meeting new people, but bad at prioritizing deeper connection. She felt like she was constantly in spaces where surface-level conversations were the norm. Like a lot of us, Jillian was lonely. At the time, she had no idea why she felt so unfulfilled. Yet, then she discovered Camp Grounded, a summer camp for adults, and felt a level of openness and acceptance that she'd never experienced before. When she left, she knew that she wanted to join communities that prioritized meaningful relationships. For Jillian, that meant surrounding herself with people who aligned with her values of play, community, and authenticity. That's why she created The Joy List. It's a resource for people to find events that they can go to by themselves and leave with a new friend. It's a way to highlight the amazing work that people in New York are doing to spread positivity and connectedness. And it's a weekly gratitude practice for us to remember that New York City is filled with love, even though it doesn't feel like that sometimes. So we're so happy and so thrilled to welcome our guest today, Jillian Richardson. Well, welcome, Jillian. So good to have you on the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is so exciting for us. This is the first time we were just talking about this, Michael and I, that this is the first time we've had a guest on that we literally have never met before. So this is our first time meeting you. Yeah, which is awesome. Well, hopefully I give you a good first impression. Yeah, it's exciting because even for our listeners, you're getting a first hand account of this you know this opportunity to get to know her and get to hear more of her story and she's got an awesome story so one of the things jillian that we love to do on the someone to tell to podcast is we love just to go deep and we hope that you're willing to do that with uh, us and our listeners today let's get in it let's just like cry together on your podcast yes let's just do it (laughs) and so um you know, we have a habit and we do this, we think not just on a podcast, but we like to think that we do it in our personal lives too, that we ask deep questions because uh, it fosters deep relationships. And so one of the questions, you know, and as we were preparing for this and we were just learning more about you and your story is just asking you this kind of broad question of take us back to the loneliest moment in your life. What did it feel like? Would you say that that moment was kind of a driving force for you to catalyze your mission in your life? Yeah. Ooh. So I think the loneliest moment in my life, it was more like a period of time. Just like, so in when I was in high school, I was anorexic. And probably between the ages of 16 and 19 and while I love my parents they didn't really have the emotional tools to really ask me what's going on they just knew like oh there's a problem we need to fix it and so I immediately went to a nutritionist 
and was kind of pretty much just like force fed like all right you're eating more food and you're doing it and that's that so no no discussion of why i was starving myself uh and when i was in college i had to go to my school's nursing office every week and get weighed in and i had to like pee in a cup to make sure there weren't ketones in my urine uh and it was just this really awful thing where I knew that I needed to gain weight and also at the same time gaining weight made me feel really shameful and not attractive and at the time I didn't I didn't have people to really talk to about the experience and I didn't have the skill set myself to really have the kinds of conversations that would be healing for me uh so it was really just a time of dealing with a lot of emotional struggles that were not dealt with and instead it was just food like okay we're going to talk about the easy part which is nutrition we're not going to talk about the emotional part how did you come out of that period what was it that helped you you know you you were in that time for about 3 years you you had said how did that end what what may have happened to help things improve? Honestly, for me, it was leaving college. So I, I graduated early just so that I could start my life as an adult in New York City. And it was when I got to New York City, I, I had a period of loneliness, no surprise, because I moved to a city where I barely knew anyone. Uh, I still didn't really have the skills to form deeper connections with people. And what happened was I kind of just decided to spend an entire summer going to as many things as I could by myself to see if I could find my people. And I went to this thing called Camp Grounded, which is a digital detox summer camp for adults. And it was my, this sounds really sad, but it was my first experience being around adults who were truly joyful, who were present and open and embodied just the type of person that I wanted to be friends with and the type of person who I wanted to be more like and that experience of being around those people and then me going back to New York City and them inviting me into their their communities into the events that they go to to parties at their homes it just shifted what was possible for me in terms of friendship Authenticity is something that is so needed in the world today. And it's something, especially younger generations are just wanting to be around people who are truly who they say they are. And so, you know, talking about something like a big concept, like love and loving others, that they're actually loving others. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you know, we've heard you say in one of your other interviews that that finding someone who is authentic is like finding a ray of sunshine. Mm. We love that metaphor. What interview did I say that in? I was like, ooh, that's a good line. I don't line. know. We'd, yeah, <laughs> that is a good line. You, you might have to use that in a future book. <laughs> yeah. So what, what was it about that image, that metaphor? Oh, my goodness. Well, like I said, I don't remember saying that, but finding someone, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'll be honest, uh, finding someone who's truly authentic, I feel like it's um, when someone is truly comfortable on their skin and they own their shit, it permissions other people to do the same thing. Like, I had someone say to me once, I went to an event where I felt really self-conscious and I said to them, I was like, wow, I kind of feel like everyone here is too cool for me. And they said, they're like, well, yeah, that's because you're too warm. And I loved that way of framing it of like, oh, right. When people are like, quote unquote, too cool, it means they're like literally being chilly. Like they're distant. They're not open. They're not being totally loving. And so it would make sense that I would not feel at home in an environment like that because I could pick up on it. 
You've also written that, see if you remember this, <laughs> that people need permission, <laughs> that people need permission to be vulnerable. Oh, totally. Yes, that idea. And that, mag and that magic, magic happens when they do. Mm -hmm. And that loneliness is a systemic issue. Yes. Can you talk more about that? So I think that, especially with social media, and I'm going to sound like a curmudgeonly old person when I say this, even though I'm 25 years old, so I'm one of these people. But that it's really easy to look on social media and see other people with lives that look just picture perfect because they're in pictures and you don't see what's going on in the other aspects of their life. And so that is a big reason why with my newsletter, I really make a point to open every edition, which I send out every Monday, with a vulnerable story of something that doesn't necessarily make me look good because there's just there's a really big imbalance of that type of content out there you're, you're right you're absolutely right is that freeing for you every monday do you feel a sense of freedom when you do share like that oh yeah it's i constantly say that me starting this newsletter is the biggest gift that i've ever given to myself because Every week I have to think about what is the theme from my week? What is the lesson that I learned? And what is the lesson that I learned that can be applicable to other people's lives? Uh, so every Monday for three years, I have been doing that. And it's just been amazing. And like, as an example, this past week, the this edition was really popular and people were giving me a lot of feedback on it because I talked about friendship breakups. I had a friend who they were really upset that I couldn't give them the amount of time that they were wanting me to commit to our relationship. And they decided to set a really big boundary and say, Hey, I don't want to talk to you at all anymore. And that was really hard for me. And it also made me question, okay, I'm a community builder who doesn't have a lot of consistent commitments to pretty much anything like to people, to organizations, like minus my newsletter and my women's circle, what do I, what am I committed to? Who am I committed to? And it, it helped me, like any good breakup does, reframe my, my priorities and really look at myself in a pretty direct way. Uh, and it led to some changes in my life, like making sure that I schedule weekly calls with some of my friends now and experimenting with hosting a weekly dinner party with one of my roommates, because they were right. Like I don't, really have super solid commitments and but owning that and saying like hey me the person who talks about community building and the importance of consistent connections i'm actually struggling with consistent connections so much so that someone totally just wrote me off the list hmm. so what would you say to our listeners who are in similar situations with kind of fractured relationships yeah, I think the first thing is knowing what type of person you are. Uh, like, so for me, I'm an anxious attachment style. So if someone is going to be like, hey, I need you to commit to me. I need us to meet every week for three hours and we have to do this for like the rest of our lives. We're going to be best friends and I love you. <laughs> I, some people would love that. Of like, oh my God, finally someone who gets that like this is so important and they're just as excited about me as I am about them. Uh, but for me, I'm kind of like, whoa, I don't even love myself that much. Like, cool it. Um, <laughs> and so it's, I've had conversations with friends about this recently because I've realized that I, I choose close friends who are also really independent people who, and who knows, maybe this is just a total flaw in myself, but who are comfortable if we don't see each other for a while and who are okay if I'm traveling or if we're a little inconsistent in communication, because they know that it's not a commentary on how much I love them. It's just a commentary on my schedule and my preferred communication and commitment style right now. Um, but if you're someone who's saying like, actually, I really do want more commitment in my life, or you're someone like me who is saying, you know, I actually want to experiment with committing more because I don't think it's healthy how little commitment I have in my life just to straight up do what I did and say to people in your life, hey, I really value you as a friend or as a lover, as a partner, whatever. And I would love to get some more time in the calendar to see you. Because like as unsexy as it sounds to schedule friend time or romantic time, most people need to do that. 
So to say, hey, like, do you want to have dinner once a week or every other week? Or do you want to FaceTime every week? It's just a really easy way to say to someone, like, you matter to me and our connection matters. Yeah. And I know you at this point don't know much about our nonprofit, but I mean, that's why we operate the way that we do. Uh, we, we schedule appointment times with people. And so we're going to give, we call everyone someone, you are someone, we are someone, we're all someone. And, and when we're meeting with someone, we schedule time to give them our undivided attention and our focus. And people have asked us often, are you, would you ever consider being a hotline? And honestly, we just have never sensed that that's what we need to do. We appreciate and see a lot of value in hotlines, but for us, we, we want our relate like to develop deeper connections and relationships. So it's not just a kind of a one-off um, connection, if that makes sense. Totally. Are you two part of the authentic relating community? We've never heard of that. No, we don't even know what that is. Well, we hope, let's, let's, let's put it this way. We hope we are doing that. We hope we are, <laughs> <laughs> but we've never heard of that, that, that oh official my title. Or, okay. So, or have you heard of circling? Uh, no. No. Great. Amazing. I'm going to tell you what you're going to love. It's, it's a we've, communication we've heard style, of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's a they call it relational meditation uh and the practice is being present with your own emotional experience and your own bodily experience and being present with observing the other person like so for example if i see tom that you cross your arms i could say like oh i see that you cross your arms and also me being aware of the stories that i have about you so it could be, oh, I saw that you crossed your arms and I have a story that you're feeling really defensive right now. How does that land with you? Uh, and so it's a practice, like there's people who are trained circling facilitators. Like it's, it's I would consider it a group therapy uh, modality, but it just seems like something that the two of you would totally vibe with. Great. We, we, we need to learn more. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, it seems like you do this. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit more about this um, this problem that we see of of superficial connections, and we think a lot of people have a lot of superficial relationships. And how do you feel about them? And how can we encourage others to not only be aware of them, but how to move beyond them? Because, like you, we feel like deep conversation and connections are priceless. Yeah, I think that the biggest issue is that we just have never been taught how to go deeper with people. That a stat that I love giving when I give talks is that loneliness impacts our health just as much as excessive drinking, being obese, or smoking fifteen cigarettes a day. And we talk about we talk yeah. about that a lot too in, yeah. in our talks as well. That that the, <laughs> the, the physical that the physical uses. yeah the physical things that that loneliness does to our bodies. You know, it's just been underappreciated, underreported, under, uh, you know, <laughs> underunderstood. And we, we think um, it, it's important that people know this. Completely. And that I bring it up as well because it's so easy to look back on, for example, a high school health class and think about how many times did our health teacher talk about the dangers of drinking and the importance of exercise and the importance of nutrition. But if your high school is anything like mine, not once did the health teacher talk about the importance of good communication and the importance of fostering intimacy with other people. So there's a sense of shame around not knowing how to do that because the way we've been conditioned, it's kind of suggesting this should just be a natural skill when really it is learned just like anything else. So a thing that I would suggest for people is to dive into some practices that can teach us how to more deeply connect with other people and that could be, like I mentioned, circling or authentic relating. It could be nonviolent communication. Uh, it could be going on some sort of couples retreat with your partner, but just going at it with a beginner's mind and not saying to yourself, oh, I should know how to have a deep conversation because yeah, it's not easy. We've been conditioned to fully avoid that. Have you ever read the book by Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone? You ever heard of it? Yes. I literally am looking at a copy of it from where I'm sitting right now. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we, we both read it in grad school and uh, it was 
it was way ahead of its time in a lot of ways because essentially Robert Putnam is making this point that years and years ago on like a Thursday night, there would be bowling nights and everybody in the community would go to bowling nights. And it's this opportunity to develop some traditions where you knew going in, you were going to have the chance to be around people, develop community week in and week out like this ritual and how over time that has kind of gotten watered down and it's not as common anymore. And I remember in Robert Putnam's book, he starts describing what happens when people don't connect. He talks about like school performance, public health, crime rates, depression, uh, race relations, community development. A lot of these hot button issues are results of people not connecting. And, and, um, and so what can we do to foster those connections? Yeah. Great question. Uh, a big thing that I talk about in my book is the importance of sharing with strangers that for me, some of the most important spaces that I've ever been in are spaces where it was a group of people who didn't know each other or barely knew each other from all walks of life coming together and sharing. Uh, a great example in New York City is there There was a meditation community, rest in peace, uh, called Balanced. And people would come together. Someone would lead a meditation. That person would share a story based on something going on in their lives. And then we would have small group conversations in groups of three. Uh, it was Casey Rosengren and Leah Widrich who ran it. And then my roommate, Dennis, and I, we actually took it over for a period of time. Um, but what was so beautiful about it is that I would go in and look at this group of people from all ages and think, oh, like, we don't have anything in common. I have all these stories that they're totally different than me. And then to be in conversation and be like, oh, this... 55 year old dad is actually one he's going through something really difficult right now and also we have more in common than i think and even if we had nothing in common it's just really important to be in spaces that remind us that oh right every single person i meet has stuff going on that i will have no idea about unless they have permission to share it we you are totally saying things that we say all the time, that we believe that we have so much more in common with one another than the things that separate us that are different. And that's where we try to, that's where we try to start in, in respecting people and, and then in listening to people, that if we start with the fact that we are just all human beings, we have so many of the same fears, so many of the same insecurities, so many of the same, you know, bits of brokenness and and experiences in our lives that if we if we if we believe that and if we recognize that it, it it's it just absolutely helps us to be able to connect with people in in better ways and not look at one another as just the other and and so different and that um that's very meaningful to us oh totally and i would notice that it was meaningful for me. And as I left these meditations, because they were in New York City, so it's like the perfect breeding ground for a social experiment. And I would notice every time after I left this event, I would go into the streets of Soho, which is packed with people. And I would always notice that more people were looking at me and smiling at me. And it was such a, like, it happened every week. And I really do think it was because I was more open to other people and I felt more connected to everyone and people just responded to me. Uh, I have no real proof to say that this is true, but it was just such a great, I mean, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but it's a great reminder that, yeah, we're all connected to each other. Everyone who's going by me has their own story. And it's so easy to forget that when it's, our brain just wants to be like, no, this is a sea of people and we're all completely disconnected from each other. That's right. So you, you've referenced several times now about this, your project, The Joy List. Could you tell our listeners who don't know anything about it a little bit more about it and, and also why you chose the term joy uh, as opposed to maybe a, a more 
probably sometimes a negative term like loneliness or lonely connections. Yeah. Apologies for just casually mentioning something multiple times that people are like, what are you talking about? Uh, so <laughs> the Joy List, it is a weekly newsletter of events that New Yorkers can go to by themselves and leave with a new friend. And everything that I feature has a facilitated moment of connection because so many event newsletters, they can, I mean, it makes sense. They feature art galleries, they feature restaurants, they feature movies, things where it's really easy to go alone, but because of social anxiety or the lack of skill, it's really easy to not have a good interaction with anyone and to leave and potentially leave feeling more alone than when you arrived. And so I feature things where there's a facilitator there to help you drop your walls and connect with other people who are there because they want to connect with other people. And examples of that could be not just a yoga class, but a yoga class followed by a conversation or not just like a rave, but a sober dance party, things like that. Uh, and the, the categories of events are conscious sexuality, mindful movement, facilitated conversation and group healing. So those are all the things I care about. And every Monday I send thousands of New Yorkers a list of those things. Uh, I forget the other question that you asked me because I just got so excited about explaining what the joy list is. <laughs> well, why, why, why did you choose the word joy? Right. So, I mean, well, when I started this, I wasn't super thinking about branding, but I feel like I just made a very quick decision of, well, people want to hear about something that they're aspiring to. Like I've, I've had for a while, I was experimenting with getting venture capital for the project. And I had a bunch of dude investors tell me, they were like, you should call it the lonely list. Cause like that explains what it is. Uh, I was like, who wants to sign up for the lonely list? Like that sounds like such a bummer. <laughs> also people don't want to self-identify as lonely or more likely they don't even know that they're lonely. And so instead to say like, hey, yeah, we all want more joy in our lives. That sounds good. Like sign me up for that. It's a very low stakes sign up. Yeah, we ran into this recently because this year we have obviously, like we mentioned earlier, we have our big annual uh, event that's that's coming up here this weekend. And when this interview goes live, it'll be after the event. But uh, our second event that we started this year is actually a hike for loneliness. And we through someone to tell to do a lot of walks with people like our listeners go out in teams and and again try to create these safe environments for people and so if going on a walk or a hike is a safe place to be able to process their stories we do that and so we started this thing called the hike for loneliness and it really took off this year we had people from around the world hiking together in pairs and uh and having deep conversations but like you, we kind of wrestle with the branding around it because loneliness is, is sometimes it can be deemed like a really depressing thing as opposed to just naming it for what it is. Yeah. And I think hopefully with my website, I strike a balance because I think like in the first three or four lines, I mentioned loneliness and that's why I started it. Um, but yeah, it is, it's really complicated. And it's interesting because when I mention the word loneliness to people, in conversation, a lot of people have very openly self-identified as lonely. They're like, oh yeah, I need that. So I don't know how the how the newsletter would perform if the word lonely was in it. Like maybe it would be way more successful. I have no idea. <laughs> well, how do you define the word joy? Ooh, good question. Um, how do I define the word joy? I don't know. Well, one of the things that we'll answer, and I'm sure you probably have a very similar response because we put you on the spot so we can interject <laughs> a little bit ourselves. We uh, we, we kind of see the, the difference between joy and happiness as happiness is kind of happenstance, just things that happen, as opposed to joy is something more internal and lasting, uh, something that gives us far more satisfaction. That in kind of in spite of what happens there's still a sense of well-being, a sense of peace, a sense of contentment, a sense of that it's going to be okay. Even though this bad thing might be happening to me right now, I'm, I still have this sense of, this sense of it, it's okay. 
groundedness. Groundedness. Mm. Yeah. I love that definition. And I think, thank you for giving me that because that that's a big reason why I keep doing the newsletter so consistently and I haven't missed a week is because I just love hearing from people like, oh, I was looking at the news or this difficult thing is going on in my life and it's so easy for me to lose faith in people. But your newsletter forces me to confront that there's so many beautiful things going on in New York every week. Like every day of the week, there's multiple people doing these really beautiful heart-centered things just to help other people. So like, how can I really think that the world is that bad? Exactly. A common question we ask many, many people to whom we listen, especially when they are giving a litany, a very real litany, because these are real things in their lives of, of all the bad stuff that's going on and the disappointments and the pain and the, and the brokenness. And we, we want people to be able to share that and to be very open and vulnerable about how they're feeling. But we also try to ask almost every time, what brings you joy? Ooh, because I love that. Pe people will, you know, you can see them just sort of going down and it's getting darker and darker and darker as they list all of the stuff that's going wrong. And, and we... It, we want to acknowledge that and, and embrace that, but then say, okay, is there anything that brings you joy? And what is that? And it's amazing. You can see transformation in, on people's faces and in their voices, in their body language almost immediately. Oh, yeah. Because when they begin, they be, at first, some of them might resist, oh, I don't know that there is anything. And we give them a moment. And everybody so far, there's been no one who has not then fairly quickly come up with something that brings them joy. And you can see their countenance, their, their, everything change about them. They're, they're, they smile, their eyes brighten, they might sit up straighter, they, whatever it is, th that you can see this, this tangible change when they begin to talk about joy. And in spite of what else is going on, what what crap is happening in their lives, they can acknowledge, you know what? There's some things going well. There's some things that make me laugh, make me smile, that make me feel better. And and, and it just, it's amazing how it changes the trajectory of a conversation. Ugh, I so appreciate that you do that. That's one, I can only imagine the emotional tax that it takes on you to have to do all these listening sessions. Uh, I have some friends who do listening sessions and it's like, yeah, that's intense work that you're doing. So thank you. And for bringing in that, that component of joy that you're, you're helping people reframe and to remember when they're in a dark place, that there are things that are worth living for and worth being excited about. Like, that's so beautiful. Yeah, so just knowing some of our audience here, they can live in some pretty insular environments. And how do we partner with everyone who's listening here to address this problem very practically? Like, let's say somebody's moving into a new community. Where, where would you start to foster some relationships, what would you do? Yeah. So the number one thing that I say if someone is moving to a new city is publicly post on social media that you are looking for connections. Like this is a thing that I do so often that I forget that this is weird for people to do. Um, but literally just to be like, hey, Facebook universe, I'm moving to Chicago and I want to meet people who are really interested in meditation and improv and, I don't know, raccoons. Like, whatever you love. Uh, like, who can you connect me to? And people love connecting people to other people. And I know this because <laughs> I'm, I'm in a weird place of people assume that I want to be connected. And so I'm, like, constantly being connected to people. Um but that when people know that you're looking for something, it's a really uh, low stakes favor to just be like, oh, let me tag this woman, Alyssa. She loves raccoons. You two should hang out in Chicago. 
so that's one really simple thing. Or if that isn't working as well to just say like, Hey, I'm moving to Chicago. Who are the connectors that I should know there? Because again, like community builders are people who love connecting people to other people with the caveat of if they say they can't help you, let it be. They're probably asked this a lot, but just those two really simple asks can introduce you to so many good people who it would have taken you forever to meet if you just showed up to really big like parties or networking events or something like that. So let's flip the question a little bit. What what would you have to say to people who have a big social network? Uh, because since we started someone to tell to you, Michael and I are the co-founders eight years ago, we've had a lot of people say, Hey, have you guys ever thought about doing like dinners for people who are lonely? Our response has always been something like, yes, we, we kind of do that every day. What we'd really love to say, <laughs> You're like, yeah, though, we're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What we'd really love to say though, is, is how about you? Have you thought about having dinner with lonely neighbors or going out bowling oh, yeah. or hikes? That is the response I want to give to people all the time too. I'm like, what are my roommates? They know that I'm stressed out when I'm like, why don't you do that? Yeah. And our hope is yeah. to be catalyzing this movement of connection so that others are fostering community. And it's not just about us paid people, so to speak, who are doing it. Although we do love what we get to do and feel very called to do it. So where would people start if they were to say, okay, I'm all in on this addressing this epidemic of loneliness stuff, but what do I do? Uh, what would you say? Yeah. So my friend Tony and I were working on creating a database of um, event templates because there's so many different really simple types of events that you can put on that you, maybe you just don't know about. Uh, but off the top of my head, there's a few dinner formats that are really good. Uh, so for example, you could look up how to run a Jeffersonian dinner. You could look up how to do, there's a dinner series called The Feast. Uh, there is a dinner series called, uh, is it Dinner for America? That one I don't remember, but the most important one that I love, uh, which might be too intense, but I think it's wonderful, is uh, this thing called Death Over Dinner, which has the most gorgeous website where you go on it and it's just like, cool, how many people do you want to have for dinner? How do you know them? How deep do you want your conversation to be? And it plans like everything for you, including the email you send out and all of it and like the flow of your event uh, and what to do after the dinner. But there's plenty of resources out there for people who maybe live in a small town and there's not a lot of events or they want to host something themselves. Um, another thing I really recommend is Priya Parker's book, The Art of Gathering. Some really beautiful, simple tips in there and also some not so simple tips about how to bring people together in a way that really fosters connection. Brene Brown has written that it is fear that keeps us from connecting with one another. Preach. Yeah, well, what, we want you to preach about that. What, what do you have to say? How do, we, how do we overcome that fear? I, mean, I think that's so true. How, you know, how can we help people to not be afraid to connect? Well, I think one thing is to understand the neuroscience of loneliness that we, I tell people to not judge themselves if they're, if they've been kind of isolating and it feels really scary to go into a big room of people and to interact because what happens to our brains when we're isolating is that when we're around people again, it's more difficult for our brains to read social cues because we've been separated from people for a while. So for example, if I'm at a party and I'm talking to someone and she has a neutral facial expression, if I've been isolating, I would see her face and think, oh, she has a negative facial expression. She's either like, she's angry at me, she's judging me. And that's a reason for me to say, see, I shouldn't leave my house. This is what happens. Nobody likes me. I'm just going to go and be by myself. And we don't understand that this is self-perpetuating. Uh, so that's one thing is to just be kind to ourselves and to, to have some self-awareness of what's going on and to know like, okay, I'm, it's not just me. I'm not crazy. Like our brains are wired to do this. We're, I'm trying to protect myself. 
Uh, and also to be really intentional with the types of spaces that you're going into. Uh, in New York City, I know this woman at this organization called Be Social Change who hosts uh, a thing called Dinner for Introverts. And it's a dinner party for people who self-identify as introverts. And it's super popular. And I went one time as the, like, I was a secret extrovert at this dinner party. Um, <laughs> clandestine. Right? <laughs> I know, I was clandestine, but so, so not clandestine. I was doing my best to not talk too much, but it was, like, so clear. Um, <laughs> who is this like person? Right? Who is this person yeah, in our like... right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, but just that, like, there is... Of course, I live in New York City. I have the luxury of living here, but to know that it's a lot easier to connect with people on an intimate level at smaller events. So like smaller dinners, if you're Jewish or even if you're not Jewish, I'm not Jewish and I do this all the time. Shabbat dinners are the best, especially if they're hosted by like cool young people. They're a really beautiful way to come together in community, to have a time to share, to have a really mindful way to end the week. And like Shabbat dinners are anywhere you are. Yeah. So talk about, those dinners, we remember you telling a story about death over donuts. Yes. You got, you got to share that with your, with our listeners. Cause it's so good. Okay. So, so I mentioned the death over dinner. Uh, and so they, they did an event in New York city during this amazing festival called reimagine, which is a festival that is all, and this blows my mind how popular Brad made this. It's all events about death. And so they had an event at a synagogue called Death Over Donuts. And it was supposed to be just people getting together and talking about end of life plans. And it's just a really beautiful container for people to start making those plans because most people die without a living will, without a healthcare proxy, without a plan for their funeral, all that stuff. But what happened was the day of the event there was a mass shooting at a synagogue in Pittsburgh and it was a hate crime. And I, when I found out and I actually found out about it as I was going to the event and my friend Casey, who was also going texted me and was like, do you think we should go? Because neither of us are Jewish. And suddenly we were walking into a space of grief and a space of mourning and a, a space where we're not of that religion. Um, and I was almost there. So I just said, Hey, like, I'm, I'm just going to check in with the organizers and see if it's okay that I'm there. Uh, and then we'll go from there. And so I went and it was such a complicated situation because the people in the room didn't know if someone they knew had died because the names of the deceased hadn't been released by the media yet. So it was this room of people, and originally the event was supposed to be way smaller, but then the synagogue sent out an email to, I don't know, their email list saying, hey, if you want to just come be in community right now, come to the synagogue. So this, this transformed into an event that was supposed to be a casual conversation about death to something really in the moment of, we're literally dealing with death right now, and we don't know who, but, and everyone in this room could be touched by it, and we all are touched by it. And it hit me that if I was organizing this event as a woman who doesn't have a religion, I would have no idea what to do. I would be at a complete loss. But because of their faith and their faith tradition, they were like, okay, when we're in mourning, this is what we do. We sing this song, we hold hands, we pass this mint, we do these things. And it was so moving to me to see the importance of ritual that ritual is what we do and we don't know what else to do. It just, yeah, it was so gorgeous. That's some moving story. Uh, 
the fact that we we are talking to you from Pennsylvania, and so it uh, it absolutely hit this state very hard, um, because it uh, it it was a profound uh, you know a profound thing that happened, and we're actually hoping to get the um, the rabbi on our podcast maybe in the next month or so leading up to the anniversary. Um, so we're going to, we're going to reach out to him this month. Oh my goodness. I would love to hear that conversation because like, what a thing to be leading a community through that sort of deep grief. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we often say there's nothing that really draws us closer together like grief, because that is, that is one common human experience that every single one of us is going to go through. Yeah. You, you've quoted some statistics in your book, The Unlonely Planet, and we're sure you've quoted them in many other places and times, too. Uh, first of all, you say that 38% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 39 have no religious affiliation. Also, 30 years ago, that percentage was 10%. So it's gone up 28% in the last 30 years. And 22.8% of the population as a whole are religiously unaffiliated. What would you say to the religious communities about how they can create community, how they uh, can help people who feel as if they don't fit in? What can those communities do or say how can they act in your in your view, in your opinion, your experience to help people feel as if they belong more and to help create deeper, more intimate communities of faith? Mm, I'm feeling really moved by this question because this is a thing I really feel like as much as I talk about secular communities, I think that communities of faith really solve a lot of people's problems. And I have a yearning myself to find a faith tradition that I feel really welcome in and comfortable in. And I haven't totally found one yet. Um, the community that's come closest is there's a community in New York City called Lab Shul, which is a, let me see if I can get this right. It is a everybody friendly, God optional, artist driven pop-up synagogue. Um, <laughs> sounds eclectic yeah it's great uh if you listen to the podcast on being uh krista Tippett interviewed rabbi amihai uh and he talks about being a gay rabbi and being a drag performer um and what i and i'm not jewish but what i love about lab shul is that they're saying like literally everyone is welcome here it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. Uh, prayer can be meditation. Just come and be with other people and be in a space that feels meaningful and that honors our human experience and that marks the specialness of time passing. Uh, and I've felt deeply moved going to their services and actually so that that death over donuts event i met ezra bookman who is lab Shul's artistic director and we became friends and i asked if he would be the ritual coordinator for my events and so now i have this kind of like not directly jewish but kind of jewish flair in my own events just because i was so moved by how preciously they held the responsibility of having people's time. And I get the sense in a lot of religious services that people are running on autopilot. And it's, it's just really annoying to me, to be honest, I get kind of pissed. <laughs> well, I don't, you probably don't know a whole heck of a lot about us at this point, but I mean, we are actually pastors who uh, we served in churches, uh, Christian churches, and that's no, kind of you're religion. not. We, uh, identify, yeah. Yes, we are. And we, 
Oh my yeah. god, I am and so we... excited to talk to you for forever. Yeah, <laughs> so this is going to be exciting now. Um, but we, we don't always throw that position or title around a whole heck of a lot uh, because we realize that the religious community has not always been the most welcoming place. And as pastors who identify of the Christian faith, we actually do a lot of apologizing on behalf of our religious affiliation at times for not making people feel as if they belong because, uh, gosh, there's nothing worse in life than feeling as if we don't belong or that we don't matter. And so that's a big, big part of the reason why someone to tell to is so important to us because we want everybody to know that message. And, um, yeah, so we, I'm sure we could talk a lot more about that, but we, that, that we may just, have to be another podcast yeah, with you right. to talk about that. Oh my god, I'm like dancing in my seat. I'm like, oh, I just want to talk to you about all of this. Well, I cannot believe you're both pastors. Well, I like we you will. Uh, times we're going to just have to arrange another conversation mm-hmm. uh, to do that and uh, to talk and to talk about that. <laughs> Good. But yeah, what what Tom is saying is that so often, I mean, because we hear it all the time from people we to whom we listen they they be, they have a spiritual life they believe in in something beyond themselves in in in, in a higher purpose but they they just have felt alienated and excluded from the community from a religious community and we, I, I think we, we often, it's, it's great because in, in not, that's not great, but it, but what we find is great is that when, yeah, <laughs> I better correct this, correct this very quickly. Love it. Um, what is great is that when just your, your reaction, the pastors, that's awesome. Well, we, we get that a lot from people uh, because we, we hope that we're, we, we, we're different from what they expect. If that if that if that makes any sense, we're different because we we we're, we try the, the the stereotype is that, that a lot of religious people, these Christian religious people, are are judgmental and again exclusionary. That guilt is a driving factor in a lot of relationships or a lot of uh, you know a lot of reactions to things, and that there, there's a lot more saying what you can't do. <laughs> And as opposed to saying what you can do uh, about celebrating life and living life in, in, a, in an abundance of joy and, 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 and wonder and peace. And that's what we try to convey. And, and religion has sometimes gotten the rap of, of conveying quite the opposite. And so I don't know if that makes, does that make sense to you? But that we hear that a lot. And we, we try to convey uh, the sense of joy. That's why we like your joy list, um, because that is, is very vital to us and what we believe. Yeah, I love that reframe. It's, it is a really big bummer that pastors have a bad rap because, so I, I've started reading John O'Donohue uh, and he gets into Celtic tradition because I've, I've started getting into Celtic tradition because my mom is Irish and I have no knowledge of Celtic history at all. Uh, and it's been really moving to me to see how much of the, the Catholic faith that he's talking about actually completely connects to my values and my spirituality. I just never seen it framed in the way that he talks about it. Uh, of like the connection to body and the connection to nature, like it seemed way more hippie <laughs> than than I've ever seen religion framed. We've mentioned previously on our podcast that both of us are podcast junkies, and we're constantly hopping from some of hmm. our favorite episodes. and And one of our favorites has been on on being with Krista Tippett, where she interviewed him before he passed. And I don't know if you've listened yes. to that one. It was so I good did. and so rich. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, but he yeah. just talked so about seeing, yeah, just seeing beauty all <laughs> around us <laughs> and how many of us don't see beauty. And um, yeah, obviously he was Irish and we both have been to Ireland. And, and, and so as he was describing it on the podcast, it was just bringing everything back to life again for us. 
But yeah, we, we're glad to hear that you have that mutual connection. Mm. I'm feeling such fondness for the both of you right now. This is so great. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well we know, great. sadly, we probably could literally talk to you for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Uh, and, and we look forward to being able to do that. Uh, but we know our listeners are probably going to start to tune out if we get longer than an hour here. Which but, we've uh, uh, just bumped up against. Yeah. So. Uh, so we want to actually end with a quote. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, another hero of ours. His name is John Vanier. You ever heard of him? No. Okay. So you, you, you we think you would love him. him. You would yeah. love him. He since has passed this past year, um, but he lived just an incredible life, particularly with people with disabilities. But he he said in in one of his books he wrote about community. And here's what John Vanier said. He said, community is the place where people grow in love and in peacemaking. That is why it is imperative for communities to grow, expand, and deepen, and for many new ones to be founded and supported. What do you think about that? The The first part is what struck me, is the deepening of the communities, because I think that's what that's what I struggle with. That's what so many community builders I know struggle with is uh, I had a mentor of mine, Jesse Israel, who's the founder of The Big Quiet, uh, say to me, he's like, Jillian, I'm feeling really concerned about you because three years is when most community builders burn out uh, because that's how long you can go without having financial resources, without having a lot of support. Like that's that's when it hits you. And that's what every community builder is well, dealing with. Well, we made it to eight years. If that well, you have each hope. other. <laughs> Um, yeah, the smartest thing yeah. we've ever done. <laughs> I ironically started this newsletter on my own, hilariously enough. Um, but yeah, that it just constantly reminds me of anytime I'm talking to someone with financial resources or people in power, just reminding them of the importance of community and investing in it and investing in the people who have big hearts and small pockets, because this is the stuff that makes such an impact. And I really think that financially right now we're not valuing it nearly enough and we're not paying community builders builders nearly enough well we actually in our, uh, we're both authors and we, in our second book we quote a writer for the new york times we we quote him often david brooks uh, and david brooks yes and one of his articles you'll have to look it up if you've never read it in the new york times he talked about if i had 500 million dollars to give away i would give it away to people who are fostering friendships and so, yeah, so maybe together we can, uh, we could continue to figure out a way to shake that tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, David Brooks, give us your money. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a good man and he's got a lot of good messages. Um, but yeah, gosh, it's been so good to talk with yeah. you and to get to know just a small, small, small portion of your story. And, uh, we look forward to having you back on the show because we, we know that there's so much more we could talk we, about. We need to do that. And we would love to do that. And if you will come back, we will uh, schedule another time and continue this conversation because we have just from, from reading you, from hearing you on other podcasts, we have just found a synergy that's been pretty incredible. And that's you only, that only deepened today in talking with you. Oh my God. I have a mission crush on both of you. <laughs> so let, let's bring this full, full circle. We had talked just really quickly about social media earlier in the program and we love to try to see the good in social media. And I just wanted to celebrate the good in social media. So I'm on this thing called LinkedIn, which I know literally almost nothing about. And one of our team members encouraged us to both get on mm -hmm. it and to become a little bit more active. And so literally, I just met Julie, Jillian last week on LinkedIn uh, because I noticed the title of your book and we want you to, to give a plug for your book here at the end. But um, yeah, that how amazing is that, that we got connected through LinkedIn and then here you are uh, becoming a best friend with us, yeah. you know, <laughs> just a couple days later. Uh, so give a plug for your book now for our listeners. Yeah. So the book is called Unlonely Planet, How Healthy Congregations Can Change the World. You can find it on Amazon. And if you're interested in subscribing to the Joy List, if you live in New York City, or you just want to check out the resources that we have for community builders, you can go to joylist.nyc. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. So uh, Jillian Richardson, 
thank you. What a joy, <laughs> no <laughs> pun intended. What a joy it has been. And um, we only look forward to continuing that joy with you again. We hope you loved that interview as much as we did and we look forward to future interviews with her because there's so much more to talk about for those who have actively followed our podcast series the someone to tell to podcast we appreciate you thank you for taking the time to to learn to grow to dialogue with us and one of the things that we've been doing is growing in terms of our fundraising because we rely heavily on uh, donations by other individuals who are able to support our work. And one of our board members just got us up and running on a program that we wanted to introduce to you today. It's called Patreon. And Patreon is a platform where we can post about each and every episode and give all of you, our listeners, an opportunity to donate. So anything from a dollar to five dollars to more helps tremendously so that we can continue to do these podcasts so if you'd like to learn more you can go to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backwards slash someone to tell it to again patreon.com backwards slash someone to tell it to